it's a strange spot to be in a Pats fan that we're replacing actual victories with moral victories. Uh, just seen a game live we're a bit tired after that and uh yeah pretty pretty fun stuff so hey we got connor here we got sean hello and we got ronan hello how are we getting on lads how's all down in cork grand yeah yeah just trying to recover after the weekend um not as young as i used to be or that i want to be so uh taking it a bit easy at the moment unlike you connor rebuilding a house from the sounds of it at the moment yeah, yeah, it's uh, maybe maybe not the best weekend to like go to London for a bit of a party and then come back and uh, yeah, it's been two 12-hour days in a row of working on the house and I am absolutely shattered at the moment. How about yourself, Fitz? How are you, how you getting on? Yeah, like not too bad back at work and uh, things are pretty quiet there so got lucky enough with that and yeah, I think it's the the jazz weekend down here in the Cork, but uh, I have no idea how it's going to work with the uh, rather un- confusing situation we find ourselves in terms of COVID uh, restrictions uh, here in Ireland. Uh, and when we were over in UK, it's like mm, it's already over. And what 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 yes. pandemic? There Whereas is back no here, pandemic. Like, uh, it is kind of over, but not really. But uh, yeah, <laughs> basically, because our health system kind of sucks balls. Yeah. So from what I understand, as long as it's someone playing a CD. Uh, you can dance to your heart's content, uh, but if someone's playing live music, sit down and appreciate it. Yes. <laughs> Interesting. At least what if they time. record a CD live so that you're there while they're recording it? Um, in, a, in a nightclub for I, a live well, album. Well, if it's in a nightclub, I think you're okay. Although I don't know about... Are there, are there nightclubs with live music anymore? Oh, I don't know. I don't think so. Apparently, there yeah, is a thing where, like, under the current legislation, a bar can have to, like, have everyone sat separated and no one's allowed to do anything. And then at half 12, when it kicks into late licensing, it can then classify itself as a nightclub and people can get up and mingle and all that oh, kind of nice. Shit. Which is... Uh, party, party. I can see why there's confusion. It, uh, it definitely doesn't seem like the most well-thought-out of strategies, we'll say. But uh, I suppose they kind of have to do something lest the uh, people riot in the streets, I suppose. But yeah, we had a we had a very exciting weekend over in the UK. We'll talk about it in the game reviews. But um, what did we think overall? I thought the stadium was really nice. Yeah, I mean the the area around it, it. There's a bit of a disconnect between the brand new stadium and the kind of kind of working class area around it. I, I don't know if the two if the two worlds have quite come to terms with one another yet. Um, but I mean, I imagine over time that that will. Uh, improve it's yeah I think it's a very nice stadium very modern stadium um, uh, the outside area there's quite a nice outside area where they put on red zone after the after the game which was which was fun for an hour until they decide to kick us all out um, the the tr- public transport is probably not it's about the same as Wembley in, in terms of their you know you're still trying to funnel 60,000 people into into one or two places, which isn't great. But uh, I think that's the same with almost every stadium around the world. So um, I imagine this is where we'll be for most of the future. I think it's th- it's most games will be in London. I think they said they've they, they got to bring it the, at least two a year in Tottenham for the next couple of yeah, years. Yeah, because they have, the, they have the fancy pitch and obviously the Wembley pitch. There's been 
stories in past years about the Wembley pitch and the use as a, for NFL and then football and basically looking like a ploughed field uh, after a couple of weeks. So at least Tottenham can avoid that. But um, yeah, it was it was in from a stadium point of view it was good and the general weekend was fun. There were a lot of good kind of NFL themed events on and local bars and stuff, um, which is good. We got to watch college football on Saturday and then we got to watch Red Zone on Sunday and yeah. so yeah well done well done London on meeting NFL fans halfway at least in terms of that yeah there was some controversy over the weekend though at the uh, the crowd throwing plastic glasses down on the pitch we were actually in the section you were in the lower section of that Sean where some of those were coming down on uh, but Fitz was with me in the upper section where a lot of them were coming from uh, I understand it stemmed initially from someone building a beer snake in the crowd and then People, the basically the stewards taking it off them and then so everyone throwing them down cups so they could rebuild it and then that just escalating that into them like bucketing cups down into the lower section. Uh, they were light plastic cups, so presumably we'd have minimal, if any, injuries off it, but it was, I imagine, kind of scary for people down there and it's not a great look, particularly given this is a Premier League stadium for most of its use and at those events they don't trust the crowd to have alcohol. Uh, <laughs> already so i'm not sure if this might be a black mark in the nfl's book against the idea of having it there maybe something to do with football but more to do with uh, uk fans yeah i don't want to be a buzzkill but the contrast between what would happen in a, a premier league game and what happened in terms of the cups is uh, was very notable uh, and there were, there were people getting very drunk which you know happens but um yeah there's uh it they weren't yeah so I I was in I wasn't in the the I was at the the kind of two it happened twice there's one end of the stadium where it kind of kicked off and then there later was a smaller one at the other end of the stadium where I was I got hit by a plas uh, foam hand and I felt something hit my back but I didn't turn around because I didn't want to become a target for future things it they, yeah they weren't. They weren't dangerous weapons. It was more an annoyance thing than anything else. I think it hit some people on the head, which obviously would have been annoying. And there were kids in the crowd as well, so obviously that's not ideal. So please try not to do that if you are at an NFL stadium. Um, just try and you know enjoy the game, which was a, which was a good game. I could understand it was like a a forty point blowout and people were bored, but it was actually at that time quite a close game, and you would have thought people's attention would have been on the action uh, on the field, but uh, not to be. Yeah. Um... But yeah, so I'm sure we'll, sure we'll talk a bit about that when we're on to the game reviews. But uh, we'll fly into some of the news. Uh, Arizona have traded a 2022 fifth-round pick and cornerback Tay Gowan for tight end Zach Ertz from Philadelphia. Uh, they add him into the weapons in there. I think he already made some impact in the game, just, uh, just just gone this weekend. But this seems like a good move for Arizona, add another weapon to that offense. Zach Ertz hasn't really found his role to be the same in Philly. Um since the departure of Wentz and with the injuries he had last year, and but he like he still got something in the tank, and it definitely looks like this will help him kind of up his stock a bit as well. You'd imagine versus what they're doing currently in Philly. Um, uh, good move for Philly. It didn't really cost them a ton. Yeah, like from my perspective, Zach Ertz was obviously competing with Dallas Goddard. Surprisingly, he was actually playing a few more snaps. Maybe Philly were trying to up his price a bit, but effectively you know they were splitting time they had two reasonably good tight ends i think dallas goddard's obviously the future as a younger player versus into his 30s now and so you're in a situation where like 
look, we're, we're a rebuilding team. We're probably not turning into like a Super Bowl contender in the near future. It doesn't really make sense to hold this kind of asset. Uh, let's try and sell him. And obviously they were trying to sell him in the off season, but nothing came of it. And they agreed to just like basically go with the flow and play each other. It doesn't seem like the relationship broke down there between the two parties, despite the trade requests and stuff like that. And then Arizona, obviously, they had Max Williams as their tight end one and was actually having a fairly good season. Obviously not a huge name, but he was having a fairly good season as the tight end, the kind of probably the third or fourth or maybe even fifth option in an Arizona offense. But he got injured recently. He's out for the season. So, you know, for this price, we're giving up a, a cornerback, a late-round quarterback that you picked this year and a fifth. Isn't very expensive. You're obviously in a window right now with a, obviously the last undefeated team in the league that you feel that you can make a push for the Super Bowl. So you get someone in Zachert, you know exactly what you're getting. A really effective pass catcher, someone who will run good routes and who will be an excellent complement to the more uh, dynamic, explosive elements of your offense. So overall, I think it's kind of a win-win uh, situation. Philly get a nice young player to play with. They get something back in terms of trade value and Arizona get another piece that hopefully can push them over the edge and continue to make that offense one of the most explosive in the league. Yeah, and uh, Houston have released defensive end Whitley Mer Merciless, which is never a great look because let's be honest, this is a Houston team that I imagine most of us could get a tryout for at this point given how they're cycling through players <laughs> and how their performances are going. But uh, I suppose Merciless is older, kind of probably doesn't doesn't really feature in future plans for them and this might have been I imagine there's a lot of agitation within the players in Houston some of them probably want to get out of there a little bit it's kind of like the I think the statement that someone made about the players on the Jags two weeks ago uh, treat it as you're being your own CEO I think every player there is trying to work out whether or not it's better or worse for their career to stay there yeah yeah from 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 what I hear, it was mutual, uh, or at least that's what's been put in the press release. And Merciless, I, I believe there's a quote that said something that he wants to be on a team that get can get to a Super Bowl. So uh, I do think it possibly may have been more his decision than their decision, but I'm not privy. Maybe Fitz knows more about that, but that side of it. Yeah, like, look, I think from, from, from their, their perspective, it was a situation where Merciless hasn't been playing at the level that he was maybe three or four years ago. Mm -hmm. So his trade value probably isn't that high right now uh, you're probably looking maybe like a late round pick like a fifth at best probably so from their perspective they're a young team they're trying to basically overhaul their entire roster most likely over the next couple of seasons with their new gm in place and uh, so you know holding on to this piece if you're not going to get him back from it, it makes sense to just kind of let it go and let's see if he can find a, a landing spot for the veteran um so despite the fact that he is a talented player given where houston are right now uh, i don't see and they're not going to get much value from him. I don't think it's that unusual situation that they, they would let him and uh, take his request to leave the team. No, of course. Controversy corner, what are they doing? Probably felonies. Uh, not this time. Washington, what are, what are the Washington football team doing here? They're never in controversy <laughs> corner. Um, they're setting up a number 21 retirement ceremony for their safety, Sean Taylor, who was murdered 14 years ago. Um, they did it with basically no advance warning. They just announced it two or three days before the game. Uh, they didn't really get a huge amount planned for it. The ceremony was bare minimal and the Taylor family have had massive issues with this obviously this is a uh, franchise that has no end of ongoing issues at the moment uh, and there are obviously ongoing as well as just kind of stuff to do with uh, sexual allegations there's also things like you know treatment of players racial issues this is kind of a a hotbed team and for them to just kind of go okay we better do this but let's do this quietly and quickly and let's let no one know what we're doing doesn't look 
great, and I can see why the family would be pretty pissed off. Yeah, like so. I suppose in terms of the family, they didn't say anything too publicly that said that they were annoyed at the team. Obviously, having uh, their family member's number retired in perpetuity by the team is a, a nice gesture. But the way this whole thing on you know evolved, and obviously given the timing in relation to the uh, John Gruden situation, basically being an outshoot of the Washington Football Team's uh, in, like the investigation there in, regarding. Uh, the ownership and various executives you know one could draw the dots if one were inclined that this was an attempt to save face and kind of use this obviously tragic situation and this great player that they had uh, as a way to kind of you know uh, divert attention away i think like when you talk to like when fans were asked about this i think they kind of said well look there's lots of fans who would have gone to this game if they knew there was going to be a, a ceremony for this guy that they obviously Hold, hold, hold in such high regard within the team, and even his own brother on a on a radio interview basically said, "I didn't know about this until the Wednesday, so literally one day before it was announced to the rest of the world." Now he did say that there perhaps were other members of the family, like uh, like his father, who may have known about this earlier than that, but we haven't got any confirmation from that. And even on the day when the ceremony happened, it was kind of shoved in beside, uh, I think, some other ceremony to do with. Uh, in a college thing or something like that and when they took photos uh, of the family on kind of like Sean Taylor Lane or Sean Taylor Road, wrote um, the photos with the family was affected they found that, the, that there was a bunch of portaloos on that particular lane at the time um, for, for the purposes of the game so hardly the most auspicious surroundings for it um, so despite the fact that this was a, a situation where uh, you know obviously we all agree that this guy deserved this and that this ceremony uh, was a nice thing to do. Just all of the surrounding situations, it's classic Washington football team. They take a good thing and they somehow make it um, a complete uh, clusterfuck uh, and something which really detracts from the value of what they were trying to do here. So, look, for Washington, maybe this was just their complete ineptitude. Um, <laughs> that would not be surprising given the team, um, but there is some more cynical takes on why this happened to happen at this point in this way um, and really uh, that, if we interpret it that way a really bad look for the team overall no of course um, we'll move on to have a look at some of the injuries from around the league so big top end of the series Tennessee have had some issues cornerback Caleb Farley has torn his ACL and he's gone for the season also to tackle Taylor Dewan has a concussion this is now week to week and wide receiver Julio Jones has injured his hamstring this is I think the same injury that was had. I was about to say hamstringing him for the last couple of weeks but that doesn't seem <laughs> fair uh, and he's now day to day um Obviously, they're just we're going to talk about it in the game reviews. They just had a massive performance there, but this is a loss. Not like they're okay. Their backfield wasn't exactly uh, a murderer's row, um, but losing the offensive tackle is going to be a huge impact on what so far hasn't been an incredible season at quarterback for them, and that makes the quarterback job significantly more difficult. If Julio Jones isn't there, let's be honest. Um, so this is a this is a tough little stretch for Tennessee that they're about to face into. Yeah, it's it's obviously not ideal, especially a team that is just about getting its season together in terms of momentum and they've been getting some good wins on the board. Uh, for Farley, I mean, it's particularly harsh. He's he's their first round pick, so he's a rookie, and he was this was literally his first start in the NFL because uh, he was replacing uh, Christian Fulton, I think, um, and had made like two tackles and then went down and is out for the season. So obviously that's a that's a really bad situation for the player more than anything else. The Taylor Luan thing is actually, it's it's kind of good news in a way in that it was quite a scary moment on the field. It was one of those, the commentators goes quiet and their players are, are standing around and he was on the ground for a while, but I think he was just knocked out. 
um, uh, and it, there was news that there wasn't anything aside from the concussion that was wrong with him, which there was a lot of worries, I think, on the field that it could have been worse than that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and obviously, but obviously with Julio, I mean, he's he's becoming a part of the team. I don't think he's necessarily slotted into this offensive unit quite yet. I don't really know what he, what he contributes that, that someone, for example, like, like Brown um, already contributes, but um, he obviously is a dynamic player on his day. And if the Titans do find a way to work with him, they'll be an explosive team. But um, obviously an injury will, will set that process back a, a bit as well. No, of course. A couple of other injuries around the league. Uh, Cleveland running back Kareem Hunt out with a calf injury for three to six weeks. Baker Mayfield has injured his shoulder, and I believe he actually was injured previously. He said that he still wants to play, uh, but it's like he's going to miss week seven. Um, obviously, this is a big knock to that team. They run through the running game, and obviously Baker Mayfield being their quarterback. Baltimore Latavius Murray has got an ankle sprain. He's out for one four weeks. Tampa Bay has lost Richard Sherman for two to three weeks with a hamstring injury. Patrick Peterson, the cornerback for the Minnesota Vikings, is out for three to eight weeks with a hamstring injury. And Dak Prescott's calf has flared up again. He's week to week, but he's expected to play following the bye week. So, obviously, Cleveland's identity being shot at there. Baltimore, this is presumably, at this point, the 17th running back who's gone down for them. Tampa Bay, new cornerback. Minnesota, well, so new cornerback. Tampa Bay and Minnesota, both old cornerbacks that they brought in to do it. And Dallas, probably not as much of a worry there. So really, it's Cleveland that we're looking at out of this group is going to be the hardest hit by this. Yeah, like Cleveland right now are very, very banged up. It's a really bad situation. I think Baker is now confirmed to be out for Thursday night football. So they'll be playing Case Keenum. I think they're hoping to get Jarvis Landry, who, who was designated to return from IOR, but he's still uncertain he, he didn't return uh, for this week for example mm-hmm. uh, OBJ is dealing with an injury he could also possibly this this week Nick Chubb w- is, is confirmed out for this week so they're going into this week with really very little in the tank they're going to be relying on uh, guys like the Ernest Johnson Donovan People Jones Anthony Schwartz like it's just not a very good situation to be in and you know given as you mentioned their identity as a run first rough and tumble team that's yeah, something to keep an eye out for. And their defense, we know there are niggling injuries with a number of guys there, though I think they're expected to be mostly back to full health for this week. So I think if you're a Cleveland fan, uh, we'll talk about it in the previews, you're probably just hoping to survive this week if you can get a win against a lesser team, because they've mostly still been losing to better teams. If you can get that win, that would be huge. And then hopefully in a few weeks, you can get back to where you were. If you can get Chubb back, if Baker Mayfield can get back to being healthy after this week, um, then I think you can get things back on track with the slightly longer week due to the uh, Thursday night football. But uh, yeah, very desperate situation there. Um, probably the only other more desperate situation is the uh, cornerback situation in Tampa Bay. <laughs> Richard Sherman was the villain guy, and now he was replaced by D. Delaney, uh, a name that you know really inspires fear in opposing uh, teams. But obviously, Tampa Bay has so much else going on in their team; they can probably survive the decimation of their defensive backs yeah uh, and Dak Prescott keep an eye on it but I, I, I everyone's saying that should be grand and with that we'll move on and have a look at the games from last week first up Buffalo at Tennessee 31 to 34 uh, this was a very exciting game Josh Allen went for 370 yards three touchdowns and one interception but still came up a yard short on the fourth down sneak to try and win it rather than settle for a game-tying field goal. Um, yeah, this was 
not a great red zone performance though at two of five. King Henry looked phenomenal. They basically again, as we said it a couple of times, they've just remembered that he's there. 156 yards, three touchdowns. He's leading pretty much every single stat that you'd want in a running back again for the third year straight. Tannehill not looking phenomenal, just over 200 yards, a touchdown interception with uh, Brown getting 91 of that and Julio just about 60. So Tennessee topple the mighty Bills and their vaunted defense. Um, Josh Allen looks a good bit more human in this one. Uh, and it definitely was a statement win for Tennessee, which then just puts them back into contention and brings the Buffalo Bills back down into the, the, the mire with all the rest of the AFC powerhouses and uh yeah it is that thing of sometimes you just have a tennessee or kind of just this power force running team and buffalo are much more of the kind of speed kind of uh um technique nuanced defense and sometimes that just doesn't work when you've got a truck like henry just running at you yeah, I mean, the defense started quite well in this game and it looked like they were in control, but then they really did kind of fade as the game went on and didn't really do anything in terms of resistance to what the Titans were doing. And obviously that'd be quite disappointing since the Bills' defense has been there, the shining light of this of this season and um, so far. I mean, I, I, would, I would say, I mean, this is one of those games where the kind of the narrative of the scoreline might take away rather than add to the situation. I mean, this was two good teams playing at a high level, going back and forth. There were seven lead changes in the games. It wasn't... Buffalo will be hurting by this loss, but it wasn't like they played necessarily all that badly. The defense could have played better. The offense could have played better. But you could say the same thing about the Titans, that both their defense and their offense could have played better. To me, it was kind of a game someone had to win this game and ultimately came down to a decision right at the end to, to go for the win uh, on fourth and one uh, rather than, than go to overtime. And it, it just happens. I mean, I think they, they probably win... The Bills probably win this game maybe eight eight or nine times out of ten and they think it's a, it's a fine call. Because if they get that... They get that fourth and goal. They win the game. Essentially, there was there was maybe like fifteen seconds left when that moment was happening, and it was on like the two yard line. So basically, the Bills either make that play and win the game, or they don't and they lose. And we can wrap a lot of the narrative into just that one particular moment. But I think it's important to emphasize that both teams played quite well on the on the. On the Titans side, obviously Henry getting into his groove is, is a very good thing to see. The kind of slow start to the season, but now he's really getting going. One really long TD and then and then two other short ones. He's amazing. He, he kind of sees lanes and gaps that just don't seem to be there or that other running backs just don't see. And then suddenly he's out in the free and no one's going to um, stop him. Um, I would say that the Titans' defense did impress me in this. They were a lot better than than we kind of feared or the, that they looked last season. They got they had a pass rush against Allen, which which caused a lot of hassle for the Bills' offense. Allen was constantly on the move all the game, and obviously that takes away from their ability. That said, they did completely fuck up uh, one play that led to Cole Beasley's touchdown. That basically both the safety and the corner were playing out of position and had no idea what was going on and didn't read the situation at all well so they're still capable of having mistakes and they did give up 31 points it wasn't a perfect performance but better than we thought from it so i guess we come away from this game maybe less being oh the builds aren't as good as we thought i think the builds are probably as good as we thought they just didn't get the the one kind of key moment in this game didn't go for them but the titans impressed me that they probably they probably having seen them lose the jets for example having seen them being blown up by the cardinals you fear that they wouldn't be competitive at the top end of the afc but they're definitely there they're definitely 
they're definitely fighting in in the kind of the higher up uh, playoff spots. They're certainly capable of finishing there at the end of the season, and definitely the division is theirs for the winning. Um, so yeah, that they will take a lot of heart from this after a slow start to the season to get going for the Bills. It's it's back to to, to to not necessarily back to drawing board, but back to to fight another day and realize that they probably win this game more often than they lose it. Yeah, I think Buffalo will be disappointed to have lost this game. I think overall they were probably the superior teams. If you look at the number of first downs, they had a lot more. I think overall their their defense, I think, is still a better unit. I think the biggest issue that they've had up to this point in the season and it ended up being very costly here is that short yardage in particular red zone offense like you have Josh Allen probably one of the most physically dominant quarterbacks in the league and yet this year we haven't really seen him being able to take advantage of that in the same way we've seen over the ever since he's coming to the NFL basically and when he slipped on that fourth and one conversion it just kind of felt I don't know, indicative of, of something's not quite right there. Most of the offense seems to be working quite well, though I do think it has definitely taken a step back from last year, uh, albeit that's such a high uh, point to kind of compare to. But I think just that specific area where you have Josh Allen, you kind of expect that fourth and one to work. He, his historic like success rate on like fourth and one and third and one uh, situations is very very successful. Um, but maybe they they like they're leaning too much into it. Maybe uh, they need to add a little more diversity and certainly just kind of get them back on track because you know like Stefan Diggs hasn't really had the kind of year we expected after being so amazing in his first year in Buffalo. Emmanuel Sanders to some extent has actually taken over from. So I don't know Buffalo. They're obviously a very very good team, but even with the way they've been playing on offense, it still doesn't feel quite where it was last year still feels like Josh Allen isn't quite where he was last year and it'll be interesting to see as the season goes on whether they can uh, get that right and kind of get them back to where they were or maybe it's just a situation that they've been figured out a little bit <coughs> on the Tennessee side I think obviously the big story is Derrick Henry but that's been the story for the last uh, five weeks uh, ever since week two he's basically been getting like over 130 yards and like multiple touchdowns nearly every week it feels like and no difference this time obviously his big runs were the major contribution to making Tennessee successful but I think it is worth noting that AJ Brown had a pretty good game here 91 91 yards uh, Julio looked good before he went out injured unfortunately and I think you saw the spark there of Tannehill if he had those two guys back and obviously if Taylor Lewan can get fully healthy he's going to be playing hurt all year that you could start to see Tennessee build up the back having the kind of effective explosive play action game that they had last year but which seems to have kind of been stuck in the mud this year because Derrick Henry's been forced to do even more than usual um, so I think you know, it, it, at the very least, AJ Brown can stay healthy. Apparently, he he, he came into this game. He was questionable because he uh, got food poisoning from Chipotle, yeah. uh, and he were having to find extra toilet paper because uh, he was still wasn't in a great way. But uh, yeah, it's definitely a situation with Tennessee. Like, like I think the defense has so much room to improve that this is a definitely a good sign. Um, but I think that pa play action pass game is what we need to see more of. See more of AJ Brown, Julio Jones, if we want Tennessee to turn this like once-off performance into uh, making them genuine AFC contenders again. But a really important win for a team that was certainly skidding only a few weeks ago when they lost to the Jets. Next up, Dallas, <coughs> New England, 35-29 uh, in overtime. Dak goes for 155 yards, three touchdowns, an interception and a fumble. Uh, but he manages to find CeeDee Lamb in overtime, uh, who had a big game over 140 yards, two touchdowns, to win the game in overtime. Uh it was a very exciting game, one that we were watching late on the night in uh, in in London. 
the New England defense did a very good job in slowing down this Dallas team and forcing them into overtime. The rushing attack didn't really get going. I think they were down to about four yards of carry. Um, and Mac Jones, to be honest, looked pretty good. Uh, it was mostly conservative enough. Uh, 229 yards, two touchdowns. But he had a couple of... Like, there's one or two plays that he looked very good on. And you kind of sometimes wanted him to be turned loose a little bit more um but yeah it was it was it, it was it was interesting uh you also saw very different approaches to the coaching between Belichick and McCarthy here it's like you know then McCarthy went in that overtime versus kind of what Belichick tended to do but it was it was it, it was a good performance I must say like it's a loss and I know everyone hates particularly fans of the teams who are on the losing side and always hate these kind of you know, they'll get a lot from this victory. There's something they're picking up here. You know, it's kind of, I don't know, gallantry and loss or value in the loss. But this definitely felt like, yeah, you prefer the win, but it felt like a positive step for this New England team. <laughs> um, it, don't yeah, you it's a strange you spot. Patriots fan, Sean? It's a strange spot to be in a Pats fan that we're replacing actual victories with moral victories uh, and trying to feel um, good about it. It is, it was a moral victory. It was one of those... Yes, this is a young developing team, and yes, um, we've they fought really hard against a, a you know a top team in the NFC and almost took out the win, kind of like the game against the Bucks a few weeks ago. I mean, the question with the Pats is always this season is can they, how will they will they step up against mediocre teams? They're playing the Jets next week. I mean, based on this, you'd hope they'd squash them, but given that they followed up the Bucks game by almost losing to the Texans, um, it's it, you know there's a consistency there that hasn't come through. Um, yeah, it was a great performance by the Pats. The defense, in particular, did a great job restraining what is a very powerful Cowboys offense. It was it was heroic at times. It was like goal line stands and red zone interceptions. They were kind of holding on by the, the skin of their teeth and, and somehow were keeping the Cowboys to, to kind of only 10 points when they early on when they really should have had 30. Um, and eventually, Dak did kind of break out a bit his, the final drive in, in the regular time uh, uh two kind of big throws fourth and four and third and 25 to kind of save the game so it was almost enough the defense almost won this game for the pats mac jones yes is still conservative but he is improving week by week he had a good long 75 yard touchdown here um so there is there's improvements on that side and i'm coming around a little bit to the whole Belichick being we got to, you know, keep the training wheels on for a while, given what's happening with the other rookie QBs. The, Mac Jones isn't having those disastrous days that, that Zach Wilson uh, and even Trevor Lawrence ha- has had. So it, it's it's a it's a moral victory. It's another step forward for the Pats. It is, is something to consider for for the Cowboys. Dak Prescott obviously playing at a very high level. Um, their offense did just enough to win this game in, in, in a time when it looked like they were maybe struggling a little bit. The defense, I'm still not convinced by this defense. They're very much a, we'll just win enough turnovers to win games where we won't actually have to stop teams otherwise. They allowed the Pats to score an awful lot of points off not an awful lot of plays, especially in the first half where, where the Pats had something like a third of the number of plays offensively that the Cowboys had, yet still had scored more points in them. That, that's something to be worried about. There were kind of big big chunk plays against a team that doesn't score big chunk plays, um, which would be worrying in that sense. All that, that said, Tavon Diggs has yet another interception. I believe that's seven on the year now or something insane. He's definitely having a, a better 
uh, season than the other digs uh, is yeah, having for the Bills uh, at the he moment. He was at fault for that uh, Mac Jones touchdown on the next drive. He was, yes. He, yeah. he, he did he did, he did miss the, he, the, the interception. He is there, emblematic yeah. of what you're saying about the defense, right? He's so boom and bust. But the booms are definitely worth it right now. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so the Cowboys, I mean, yeah, they look like contenders, but they look vulnerable. And I think some of their vulnerabilities were exposed here. For the Pats, it's... Oh, we're two and four, and the season is slipping away. But you never know with a with a run, this team could maybe squeak into the playoffs. But just as easily, they could finish six as six and eleven as they could finish ten and seven. Neither would would surprise me uh, at this point. Yeah, I think Sean covered both of the main things. I think a few interesting points are, I think New England's strategy of trying to tamp down on Dallas's rush attack was was very interesting because. You know, Dallas's rush attack has been absolutely obliterating defenses, some pretty good defenses as well in the last month or so. And they were held to around 110 yards here between Zach and Pollard, about four yards carry. So not bad by any stretch, but compared to what they've been doing, uh, significantly below expectation. And what's interesting about that is that New England basically put the game on Dak Prescott to beat them. And it's fair to say that Dak Prescott came out with flying colours. Yes, he had the two turnovers, but one was off a deflection and the fumble was on a goal line trying to reach across the line thing. You know, 99 times of 100, you don't have that happen. And the ball was literally like an inch or two from being a touchdown. So we can forgive him for that. But I think, you know, I think the thing people are talking about most with Dak Prescott, he seems to be making that next step or perhaps just like it's more obvious now because he missed so much time last year with injury that he is truly one of the elite quarterbacks in the nfl not only in terms of his arm and his physical skills but in his ability to read the game he seems to you know like the Pats obviously run a very complex defensive scheme he seemed to be a step ahead of them for the vast majority of this game and was more than able to get his favorite toy cd lamb involved with like his huge ipod especially in overtime five out of five and that touchdown to Lamb, you can't do much better than that from Dak Prescott. So I think then for that, that's really important. You know, for New England, you know, moral victory, Mac Jones looks solid. I think Sean covered that well. But the one thing that is interesting is just the contrasting coaching styles here. Bill Belichick this year is playing, I feel like, very, very conservatively. You know, they had a rel- fourth and relatively short in overtime. You know, you have Dak Prescott absolutely lighting you up for most of the game, and you choose to punt the ball away and, like, give Dallas the chance to win it. Uh, so kind of. I could like Belichick isn't making any mistakes. It's just that he's being very safe, and obviously in key situations and situational awareness, he's one of the best in the game, and he's definitely uh, not someone to be taken lightly. Whereas on the other hand, like Mike McCarthy, apparently he did like an analytics course in the off season from PFF, and apparently this has made him like oh fourth down, whatever. I have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing. So like people are like praising him because he goes for on fourth down, but then sometimes he inexplicably doesn't go for on fourth down when the statistics suggests that he, he should. I think there was like one situation where his win probably officially went down because he chose to uh, go for a field goal. Um, but it, it, like you know, at the end of the first half, there was also a situation where um, I think there was like a minute left in the clock and he didn't take the time out for some reason. And then he did take a time out after the next play. But at that point, there was only like like less than 20 seconds on the clock. And people were asking, what are you doing, Mike McCarthy? Like, why are you doing this? So Mike McCarthy is willing to learn. But considering that, he's basically handed off most of the duties to his coordinators like Kellen Moore and Dan Quinn respectively you really need to be good at the one thing you're supposed to be good at which is in terms of like being in control of the game clock control of situational awareness maybe needs to work on that a little bit as a kind of problem that he's always had uh, so something to keep an eye on because obviously in this game they still managed to beat New England but when you get to the business end which I think Dallas will be involved in that could end up being pretty costly and we could see a pretty uh, atrocious mistake that everyone ends up talking about from McCarthy 
No, of course. Uh, next up, Miami at Jacksonville, the game that we were in attendance at. 20-23, to 23, uh, Jacksonville win this in a walk-off field goal, 53-yarder after uh, they had two kind of field goals in rapid succession to get the, to this position. They capitalised massively on Miami's very confusing time management at the tail end where they didn't take timeouts. Just given that you just mentioned uh, the unusual timeouts from, uh, from the other game, yeah, that they didn't take a timeout because they didn't seem to trust that they're anything was going to happen and then decided to take a timeout just to leave enough time essentially for the other team to be able to come back I, I don't really understand it uh, Lawrence looked much improved 330 yards and a touchdown uh, leading on Robinson a little bit more in this game went for over 100 yards and a touchdown um, but no it was, it was, it was pretty good uh, they got over 100 yards with the receiver Jones as well to uh, had some nice moments in this game uh, and he went for a good statistical 350 two touchdowns but it's just kind of it started to peter out towards the back end and I don't know if that's injury I don't know if that's coaching because like we said the coaching was making a number of mistakes in the later section in it as well um, but yeah it was just it was it was a Miami team that definitely felt like it was playing to draw for the last couple of minutes and didn't really know what it was doing and a Jacksonville team that were like fuck it we're just going to go for it and if it works it works kind of thing um, but yeah, like it was, it was a very exciting game. Probably one of the most exciting ones that I've seen over at the uh, over at the London Games. Uh, very exciting end to it. Good atmosphere in the crowd and everything. And nice to see two young kind of players coming out. Lawrence obviously having kind of two or three games now where he's looked a little bit better. And uh, Tua coming back from the injury, looking healthy, getting good yardage there. And, and and like we said, outside of the fourth quarter, some 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 tasty bits of play. Yeah, like I think this game was not great in terms of like the quality of play but a lot of interesting situations occurred and some i think the where both these teams are is, is very very intriguing going forward because obviously on the jacksonville side urban meyer obviously mired for lack of a better term um in controversy due to some uh you know what, what seems now relatively benign i suppose uh, footage of him uh, but he gets a win here gets off the shine and you know the Jacksonville Jaguars definitely played better I've been echoing this for many many weeks now but obviously they're giving Robinson the ball now they're making him the focal point of the offense and it works he was able to do it last year he's able to do it this year but I think the thing that you're seeing is also the growth of Trevor Lawrence in particular seeing some of the play action or deeper balls, like I think the touchdown to Marvin Jones in the first half is a, is, was a highlight. Um, there is, for my taste, probably a few too many bubble screens or very quick outs uh, that are basically kind of pseudo run plays that didn't really get going. And uh, like I would certainly, like I, I, no, I want to see more from Lawrence. And if you can establish the run that I don't see why you would not be willing to do so. But there's just a sense that Urban Meyer is still running a very college level offense. Um, and uh, th- th- it doesn't quite as easy as the eye as it could be, in my opinion. But the important thing is that they are able to get production. They're not making those turnovers anymore, and they're actually moving forward. And, of course, you know, Urban Meyer, to be fair to him, when it came down to the last moment, he did effectively outcoach uh, his compatriot, Brian Flores, especially, uh, uh, like, you know, in the last, basically, three minutes of this game, Brian Flores threw it away they went for on fourth down they failed and then on the subsequent uh, Jacksonville drive as you mentioned they kind of let the clock dawdle around and then basically 
gave, I think it's around eight or ten seconds uh, on the clock when they took their time out. And, you know, I think they were expecting Jacksonville maybe to punt it away um, or maybe go for like a Hail Mary or something like that. Uh, but instead, they go for a quick shot to Levitsky Chenault that set them up for a long field goal, which the uh, young rookie cooker, Matthew Wright, uh, kicker, Matthew Wright actually kicks and, and is now the, the hero of Jacksonville. Um, I think they actually released their veteran kicker, Josh Lambeau, after this. So uh, uh, I think he's safe from the job, at least for this season. So I think for Jacksonville, this is a huge swing. Gives him a little bit of hope and allows Urban Meyer to at least have some chance of turning the season around and ending up with maybe a few wins and another chance next season. On the other hand, Brian Flores is in a lot of hot trouble. Not, not even just mentioning the bad management of time. In terms of the overall roster, it just looks very shot right now. And like To be fair, their two best cornerbacks were out. Two of their three best receivers were out. Uh, but Tua came into this game. He looked hot. It seemed like whatever like set of plays they pre-prepared were definitely working in that first quarter. And you thought, okay, this is great. Miami are showing that they're actually a somewhat good team against a bad Jacksonville team. They're going to beat them out. And maybe their defense is a bit shit, so it'll get close enough. But it certainly seemed for long stretches of this game that Miami, certainly in the first half, were the better team. We're going to win this game. And I think you saw uh, like some nice play action and some of the repass options certainly worked. And I think seeing that more dynamic side of Tua makes sense but as the game went on he just seemed to get worse and worse he seemed to wane and he was particularly bad on some of those deep balls just didn't seem to the accuracy to get down the field albeit admittedly to the kind of lesser players on their roster and so when it got down to that final drive that they ended up having where they're on fourth and one they handed off to Malcolm Brown and he on a shotgun snap which I, I don't know that's a new interesting play call um since you know i don't really know what's happening there and it ends up obviously getting stuffed in jacksonville in this game so you know to uh you know certainly good coming off injury looking a bit better at least for a while but we'll see but i think you know when you look at this overall roster and you realize how weak it is you then have to ask the big questions about brian flores because he's been really you know, we've, we've talked about in the off-seasons for a couple of years since he got there. He's really unwilling to keep players. He just changes things all the time. His coaching staff around him is very chop and change. And you have to wonder, is there a plan here? Is there an identity here? And if there isn't, is there a question that the future identity of the Miami Dolphins may not involve Brian Flores, despite his the high regard we've had up until the season? So, yeah, interesting times ahead for both these teams, I feel. Um, yeah, I don't think I'm going to remember this game for the quality of the play. I mean, there were two pretty terrible teams, or you know, not fantastic teams. But I will, I, I will record, I will remember it as a, kind of the, one of the best examples I've seen of why it's so much better to watch a game live than on television. If I watched this game on television, I probably wouldn't have watched to the end, or I, I would have been, you know, I wouldn't have cared who won by the end or if the, that the kicker made two amazing kicks. But to be there live and to watch the energy of the crowd, the crowd, because obviously the Dolphins history um, back in the 80s, they've got a kind of big London fan base. So the crowd was quite heavily pro-Dolphins at the beginning. But as the, ga- as the game went on, the kind of the neutrals in the crowd started cheering more and more for the Jags because they were working hard. They were, they're a very limited team. Their defense is absolutely terrible. Their offenses makes loads of, def- of mistakes. There were some brutal brutal drop passes in this game uh, the play calling from urban meyer in terms of its, its lack of aggression could could have dealt with some uh, improvement but they were working hard they really wanted to win and they were fighting for it whereas the dolphins it just didn't feel like they were and I, the crowd kind of i think sensed that got behind it 
Um, and as Fitz said, that the Dolphins' play began to drop off as the game went on. Their defense was was pretty solid throughout. Got good pressure on Lawrence, kind of made him make a lot of throws, which which he did. The offense was just got worse and worse. There was an absolutely brutal interception of two. It was one of the ugliest throws I've seen. Um, and then as the game went on, it comes down and, and Jacksonville are down 2017. And this kicker, this guy who was like a software engineer like a month ago, comes on the field, kicks this incredibly wobbly 54-yard uh, kick. I was behind. I was kind of behind and to the left of the gold on that side. And honestly, it didn't look like it was going to make it. It didn't look like it was long enough and it only just made it. Then I watched it back on television. It was also looked like it was going wide until it curved back in. So an absolute fluke of a kick, basically, to tie the game and then to win it again uh, as time expired. And the way that the Jags celebrated at the end, that they'd gotten the zero off the board, that they'd gotten that first win, it obviously meant an awful lot to them and, and the crowd reciprocated to that. So I remember it for this being a kind of a great spectacle and, and, a, and a great kind of emotional moment where a, a neutral crowd got behind a team that fought and overcame their limitations uh, as exemplified by this pretty mediocre kicker who makes two huge kicks um, to win the game. Um, I'll remember for that more than, than the play that comes from it. But yeah, I would definitely, if you can, go to an NFL game. Um, there's some in London and Germany, and obviously there are people who might be listening to this who live in the North America. I would definitely recommend to go to it, and especially go to a close game. I've been to three games. That Two games were were blowouts. One game was a blowout that then turned close at the end, and this was the first one that was kind of close throughout, and, and just it's... There isn't an experience like it. It's so much different to watching it on TV, so I definitely would recommend it if people have the opportunity to do that. Now, next up, we'll have a quick look at Mount, uh, the Chargers at Baltimore, 6-34. to 34. Um, This was just complete and utter dominance by Baltimore. Uh, they kind of 167 yards and touchdowns, two interceptions from Lamar. It doesn't look like much of a stat line, but it was just all rushed. They went for 187 yards, over five yards of carry, 51 of that for Lamar, and they just kept the scores coming. Baltimore's defense had an interception, two sacks. They only allowed about 200 yards. Herbert, the golden boy, the Chargers just looked a little bit confused. 195 yards, a touchdown interception, and just constant pressure on every single snap. Uh, it was just, yeah, it was just, like this was a game that we were expecting to be close coming into it and I think we all picked the Chargers in it like and Baltimore came in just to show look don't forget about us just because we've had a lot of injuries and we're kind of a little bit streaky here and there they can really put it on and they took it to the Chargers here and uh, yeah a big statement win for them like even though like we said the pass game wasn't up to much like you know this was Lamar Jackson run game and their run game with a load of you know no-namers for the most part or old has-beeners for the most part uh making a big statement win over the chargers yeah a bit of a strange game even after i walked watched it back I, I i wasn't quite sure why exactly the ravens had won even though they'd won it so convincingly it wasn't kind of a scheming thing i don't think there wasn't necessarily it was just a failure of execution i think the charges just didn't turn up on either sides of the ball they just had an off day and i guess that happens and especially when you have a second year quarterback who's only started something like 20 games it does happen that sometimes you just don't turn up uh, the on paper the chargers have a passing offense that should have murdered what is quite a weak ravens pass defense but they just didn't they couldn't get throws off and then they just couldn't get down the field and they were constantly being overrun 
Um, on the other side of the ball, they've got to be worried about this defense. The Chargers have given up a lot of points, even in the games that they've won. They've been getting into an awful lot of shootouts. If you think about the Cowboys game and the Chargers game and the Chiefs game, all those games kind of ended up with, with both teams over 30 points. And here, their run defense especially offered absolutely no resistance. And if the Chargers do want to kind of eat at the top table, if they want to be fighting for the you know a spot in the AFC Championship game or a spot in the Super Bowl, they've got to find a way to make this defense more competitive against good teams. Um, for the Ravens, I mean, it's it's such a weird team. I really don't know what I think about this Ravens team. Their results are consistent, right? That they've won five in a row and, and they've beaten all sorts of teams. But their performances are all over the place. This is a team that only just beat the Lions. This is a team that should have lost to the Colts. Yeah. This is a team that did lose to a Raiders team, which is, we've seen is, is good but not great. But this is also a team that bl- has blown out the Chargers and has beaten um, the Chiefs. So it's kind of hard to really know what this Ravens team is. Uh, and uh, I'm still not convinced they're really deserving of being a 5 uh, and hey, one team. How, how can you fit the Chargers to resist the inevitable power of Devonta Freeman, the Tavius Murray, <laughs> Le'Veon Bell? Like, I don't know, Sean. It seems pretty easy oh, to believe everyone. It, <laughs> it was, yeah, so random that this kind of random stable of veteran running backs all have a big day. All three of them had touchdowns. Patrick Ricard at fullback had an amazing game for some reason. He was like blocking all the running backs throughout and was just killing it on the line. Um, the defense, I mean, it was just one of those, it was a game that I honestly, I've been watching NFL for, you know, Jesus, 30 years now. And there's just sometimes our games are just like, I can't really explain why that team blew out that other team. They just did. And this was one of those games where the Ravens just turned up and the Chargers didn't. And the Ravens just got to keep turning up, I guess. Uh, I don't necessarily think they're the best team in the AFC, but they have the best record in the AFC. And now they are the team to beat. Um, for the Chargers, it's, you know, suddenly they've gone from being, oh, the division is theirs to win to being they're only one game ahead of the Chiefs and they're looking vulnerable and suddenly things have gotten very serious uh, on that side of it. So, yeah, a very strange game um, that as the season goes on, we might learn more about why this result happened. But for now, I can't probably quite explain it yeah. uh, rationally, at least. Fair enough. And Arizona, Cleveland, uh, 37 to 14. This was, uh, let's be honest, an injury-ravaged Cleveland that were trying to go against the last and still last undefeated team uh, in Kyler Murray's uh, Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Kyler went for 235 and four touchdowns and didn't seem to have any issue with the fact that his head coach wasn't there because of a COVID absence. Um, although I will say she's kind of interesting. Apparently the coach's claim is that he, uh, Kingsbury says that he didn't watch this game at all. He... Um, because he's not allowed to contact in, they won't allow any digital contact. So he said he didn't watch his game, he just started scheming up for their next game instead. I was like, it, it, with the Texans, yeah, so that needs all the whole thing. All the, prep, the Texans. All the I think he probably just went, well, if I put in the three hours now, I could take the week off. Um, <laughs> Arizona's defense uh, just did the job. Three turnovers, five sacks, six tackles for a loss. And just Baker not looking the best. He had another one of his down games. He had the injury, uh, but two and forty-two, two touchdowns, an interception, and two fumbles. Uh, the rush game, obviously, they were missing Chubb in this one. I think, or did he get injured during it? It was, uh, yeah, just not great. Sixty-eight yards, and obviously, once they were behind, they couldn't really do much. Um, yeah, there was a very nice um, hail mary going into the half, which was which was good. Uh, that's it's, it's about the only positive I can think for Cleveland. Um, Except I suppose there's not expectations on next week, given all the injuries. 
Yeah, like I suppose Donovan Peoples Jones was was solid. Obviously, he had the big hail mary catch, but uh, also showed a bit of explosiveness. He was obviously a preseason darling. But yeah, other than that, basically a and it's horrible as for the Cleveland Browns. Baker's going to miss this week because uh, the shoulder was basically aggravated significantly as he got absolutely hammered by the Arizona defense all day long. And obviously, uh, with three turnovers, uh, that ended up being quite costly. And yeah, like they they. That Hail Mary gave us like a little spark of hope at the time. Maybe we could get a game here, but uh, the second half were very quickly established that that was not going to happen. Uh, but look, they're missing Chubb before this game. Kareem Hunt got injured during this game, and the run game wouldn't really have been as much a factor you imagine because of the game script, which very quickly got out of hand in the second half. So for Cleveland, look, they're, they're just trying to survive, pick up some wins wherever they can, and hope that when they get healthy again that they aren't too far behind either in the AFC North or in the uh, wildcard hunt in the AFC. Uh, I don't think they can take that much from this game otherwise. They're just they're just such a solid, well-rounded team when they're fully healthy, but you start chipping away all of the important pieces, the quarterback, the two best running backs, uh, perhaps possibly in, in the league in terms of a tandem. Um, you know, uh, Jarvis Landry is out for this game. OBJ is still playing hurt. It's just, yeah, it's a lot to take on, and I don't, I don't think we, we expect the Cleveland Browns to be able to beat the Arizona Cardinals in that situation. Um, and, of course, you know, Arizona had the plus one, the kiff things where he wasn't on the sideline. But, uh, you know, obviously Kyler was kind of like, oh, there's no plan this week. Oh, well, that's the same as every other week. Uh, but it doesn't really matter because I'm just going to, like, hit every... <laughs> you're just never going to give him any credit, <laughs> are you? No. Um, so he just hit every ball. Like, And I think, it was like, I think the important thing for them is that he continues to spread the ball. Like, you know, last year... Uh, you know, everyone joked that their offense is like, hey, uh, Dondre Hopkins, he's down there somewhere, just fling it up. But this year, you see Christian Kirk getting involved, you see AJ Green getting involved because his career's back on track. Uh, Rondale Moore wasn't a big factor in this game, but obviously you know that he has done things. And the run game, while it's not the best run game in the league, is more than good enough to complement uh, the Kyler Murray crazy, I don't know what's going to happen in any play show. Um, James Conner was solid in this game. Chase Edmonds had a couple of nice cameos. So for Arizona, look, look, they... Uh, I, I I don't necessarily trust them every week. I think they're a bit like the Ravens that Sean talked about, where you can't really go, oh, they're definitely going to win like like this every single week. But this week they came up against an opponent which was ailing, which was you know uh, in the dog pound to a certain extent. Uh, maybe need to be taken around the back, but. Uh, yeah, it was a situation that they saw what was in front of them, they took it away, and they move on to what is probably going to be the other easy win next week. So, yeah, atop the NFC hierarchy, atop the NFL hierarchy, let's see if they can keep it up uh, as the season goes on. Yeah, and I suppose that'll take us down to the dump-off for the rest of the games in this week. Yeah, so welcome to the dump-off. Uh, we're starting with a couple of OT games here, but ones you can basically ignore, like three-quarters of the game, so that's why they're here. First up, Seattle at Pittsburgh, Sunday Night Football, 20-23 to win for Pittsburgh in overtime. Gino fumbled the ball away in overtime. Uh, he had around 200 yards, a uh, touchdown, and that fumble. As JJ Watt was based, oh, sorry, TJ Watt was the deciding factor in this game. Uh, he'd also had two sacks and three tackles for a loss. Uh, now, to be fair to Gino, they were 0 14 at the half, and they managed to come back, continuing the streak of Seattle deciding that they only play one half in every single game. And, you know, uh, that, like, 
it was a solid enough performance from Gino. I think the big thing with Gino is that you don't have the deep ball anymore. Tyler Lockett is basically a non-factor. DK Metcalf isn't really where it is. And to be honest, when they got back into this game, it was mostly by using Alex Collins effectively running the ball in the third quarter to set up two of their touchdowns. So, look, for, for Seattle, they're a very, very different team with, without uh, Russell Wilson. If they can pick up any kind of wind here and there to keep somewhat relevant, that'd be nice. But uh, this looks like a lost season overall. On the other hand, the Steelers, like, look, Big Ben is still struggling he had a tat line that actually looked very close to Geno Smith's for whatever that's worth. Um, but uh, he was very lucky to avoid, and he was very lucky to avoid interception when he literally threw the ball at Jamal Adams. But uh, maybe he knew something we didn't uh, that Stonehand and Stonehands Adams would never actually catch it. And look, Najee Harris is really the big bright spot for that offense. Over 100 yards again and a touchdown uh, with Deontay Johnson really the only other factor there. But look, with that defense, they can win games like this. They can keep clicking up and stay somewhat relevant. But uh, not really loving this team on a day-to-day uh, action or, or in terms of actually having to watch them. Uh, next up, Minnesota at Carolina, 34-28 to win for Minnesota in overtime. Look, Minnesota really should have blasted this team away in Carolina. They outgained them by magnitudes. Um, like Cousins was effective and to be fair to him in, a, in, a, in the third down situation in overtime, he was willing to go deep to Osborne to get the actual win. Um, but look, he had Dalvin Cook getting over nearly 150 yards in a touchdown. Thielen had his big game, 126 yards in a touchdown. Jefferson had 80 yards. So, like, look, when you look at the stats, it looks like Minnesota should have won this game easily. But they're Minnesota. They don't live that way. And they managed to, like, basically make enough of their screw-ups, especially having uh, several field goals that should have been touchdowns and two missed field goals that they allowed Carolina to hang around wrong enough for Darnold to have one good drive. And literally, it was one good drive to get a touchdown late to set up overtime. Um, and they needed a special teams block touchdown as well and their defense to be okay at times. They, they collapsed absolutely late, but they were okay for the rest of the game, I suppose. Uh, but overall, Carolina on offense are an absolute train wreck. Darnold looks like absolutely lost out there at the moment. It wasn't as bad as last week, but it was certainly quite bad. They need CMC back if they're going to have any hope of getting this ship back on track. Uh, but Minnesota to get a win. The, the, the momentum is on their side. Let's see if they can, you know, at least give Green Bay a little bit of pressure uh, in the NFC North. Tampa Bay at Philadelphia, 28-22 win on Thursday Night Football. Don't be fooled by the score. Tampa Bay could have won this game, I feel like, at any point. But they just, as they have done several times this season, kind of left it a little late, kind of dally-dallied around. And this time, rather than deciding to run up the score late, they decided with five minutes left, oh, uh, I think this game's over. Let's just bleed the entire clock uh, to cap off a game where they... uh, controlled the clock 40 to 20 and controlled the yards 400 to 200 so that gives you an indication of, of how much they had this game in hand look Brady was fine like he was well, best game but still had nearly 300 yards two touchdowns he had a pick as well but I think that was off a deflection and I think the big thing for Tampa Bay right now is that after a pretty bad start to the year they finally got that run game going as they went back to like Super Bowl Fournette and he had over 100 yards and two touchdowns and he's really helping them steam ahead Hurts on the other hand for Philadelphia like under 50% accuracy around 100 yards uh, but he had like 44 yards and two touchdowns he you know has to be vaunted it seems like every single week for not giving in for continuing to fight despite desperate situations Um, but in this case I don't think he was ever that much of a threat to Tampa Bay but he's just way way too inconsistent you need someone who can actually run drives on a consistent basis unless they're 
they're able to do like big plays all the time and I don't think Hurts is that explosive to, to get them get away with it so look I think the rush attack actually did pretty decent here they have 100 yards against Tampa Bay who are the best rush defense in leagues maybe get Miles Sanders involved a little bit more give something here so that Hurts isn't having to go through this tough situation every single week uh, moving towards some of the more blowout games Green Bay at Chicago 24 to 14 Aaron Rodgers he owns the Bears he told them himself after getting uh, given the bird and he certainly let them know who owns the NFC North uh, he had only 200 yards and three touchdowns but he was just slicing and dicing the Chicago defense which was feisty put up a fight especially uh, like in the first half but he was just eventually able to peel them away and given that Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon had another bullying game 135 yards and five over five yards of carry between them um i think you know the, the chicago bears needed to get something from their offense and while it wasn't a terrible offensive output compared to what they have done compared to the good teams in the league it's still pretty bad fields had only 200 yards touchdown and, and he had a pick as well he's definitely getting better each week but he's operating from a very low floor uh, like there's a lot of people going oh fields look at him he's, look at all the promise look i get that but objectively he's not a good quarterback right now and he can't read a good NFL defense on a consistent basis but maybe the one bright spot is the Khalil Herbert as the kind of the third string running back came in at over 100 yards and a touchdown he looks like a, an explosive player um, that they got in the draft this year but I think Chicago if they're ever going to be a factor in the NFC really need to juice up their offense and find some way to get that going because right now with with good defense and that like they're basically just a poor man's Pittsburgh Steelers or maybe a rich man's Pittsburgh Steelers depending on your perspective Vegas at Denver, 34-24. Basaccia, he is very happy in the post-Gruden era as they basically won, I feel, in a routine fashion. The score probably flatters Denver to a certain extent. Uh, Carr was put back in the driving seat and it's like, hey, that explosive pass game that got us to 3-0. and Let's go back to that. And it worked. Like, Rogues had oh, nearly 100 yards of the touchdown. Waller had 60, uh, 60 yards. Edwards had 60 yards. Lots of big plays that meant that some of the inconsistencies in the run game didn't really matter. And you had even a couple of nice cameos from Kenyon Drake for some reason. Uh, 70 yards, two touchdowns for him. Look, on the other hand, Denver Teddy Bridgewater was admittedly like pressured a lot there were like 17 QB hits uh, and five sacks but really he just threw up a lot of ducks there ended up getting picked off three times he fumbled the ball he had three touchdowns particularly in the comeback effect but yeah just way too merry Aaron throws but I think the biggest problem for Denver is a, a defense that they invested a lot of capital in it has a lot of big names like Vaughn Miller on it isn't doing anything right now in many ways they, they feel a lot like the the Washington team in the sense that their defense just seems to be MIA and if their defense isn't working well then the whole strategy of like have Teddy as the solid uh you know uh quarterback situation isn't going to work and they're going to go into a deep hole this season Kansas City at Washington 31 to 13 look Kansas City they seem to every week give the ball over a lot more than they should they had three turnovers in the first half they were down by three points at the half uh, but it didn't matter because they're playing Washington uh, Mahomes asserted his superiority later on when he got two touchdowns uh, and they're over 400 yards as Kelsey and Hill both got involved thankfully for them and overall it looked like a routine win for Kansas City at the end but still those concerning issues which have affected them again the teams who are actually good still exist there definitely want to clean that up on the other hand, Washington, look, Heineke, he doesn't seem to be enjoying the pressure at the moment because there's so little going on around him. Um, they had all those first-half turnovers. They didn't really capitalize on them as they only had 13 points in the first half and then literally disappeared for the second half. The rush offense isn't what you'd hope because uh, Gibson is dealing with an injury and their defense, while getting more highlight plays, three sacks, three turnovers, they still leaked over 500 yards. So, you know, 
more you know accolades and numbers at the end but overall if you give up 500 yards you're not winning many games and uh yeah washington's still a bit of a pickle at the moment cincinnati at detroit 34 to 11 look routine win for burrow nearly 300 yards three touchdowns interceptions uh, the detroit defense basically doesn't exist right now as both chase and mixon uh, had really big games Goff was basically pointless and was called out by uh, the head coach he needs to step up more than he did here is what Dan Campbell said about him after a very long and pregnant pause um, so yeah definite questions about what they're going to do later on this season if they have anyone worth trying out other than Goff uh, I think for Cincinnati the big difference this season is the defense and Trey Hendrickson was pressuring uh, Jared Goff a lot uh, long may it continue and uh, let's see if Cincinnati can keep it up and be a, a factor in the AFC North La, the LA Rams at the Giants 38 to 11 just another easy win here Stafford lit up that like a very poor Giants defense uh, four touchdowns here and Cup was back to being the uh, focal point 130 yards and two touchdowns look this uh, Giants offense is incredibly battered like Danny Dimes you know because of that or just you know because of going back to its old form had four turnovers in this game uh, only like uh, 242 yards definitely a very worrying sign after being so clean early on and the one bright spark they've had uh, Kadarius Tony exit early here and so you don't have Saquon you don't have Tony you don't have Galladay like a shepherd came back here but yeah not really much to hang your hat on here uh, for the Rams defense it was easy pickings with Taylor Rapp getting two of the interceptions mostly set up by the fact that Aaron Donald exists and finally Houston and Indianapolis 3-31 to uh, Wentz and Taylor both had a nice easy day of racking up offenses and looking like they're back to their best as the defense basically suffocated this Houston offense um, the, the, with three turnovers Davis Mills that nice little cameo he had against New England uh, basically already snuffed out and basically this is a team that's dropping players like Whitney Merciless the, the players are getting lost due to injury like Laramie Tunsil yeah it's, it's it's a bit of a circle it's a good thing they got that win early on something I'm sure the Detroit Lions would like to have right now um, but yeah not a great game for anyone involved and not worth going to watch again and that's it the dump off for this week talk to you cool. next week sure we'll have a look now at the games for next week So, first up, Thursday Night Football, Ronan's pick of the week. Interesting choice. Denver at Cleveland. We've gone for Cleveland across the board, which I'm starting to reconsider given the amount of injuries to them, but this Denver team hasn't looked fantastic of late. Uh, but, yeah, Fitz, tell us about this. Yeah, so, like, uh, you guys probably have objectively the two uh, superstar games this week, but Thursday Night Football, a short week, and you have a... Uh, two wounded animals kind of going against each other. We, we talked uh, at length about Cleveland. They're, they're missing Baker this week, so Case Keenan's playing. They're missing Chubb. They're missing Kareem Hunt, so they'll be ru- ru- running out Dernish Johnson and Demetric Felton. Uh, like uh, Jarvis Landry may or may not play in this game. OBJ may play or may not play in this game. So, like, like who is your best offensive player? Like, Donovan Peoples-Jones? Who bloody knows? And on the defense, I, I don't think they're suffering any injuries there right now, but we know that guys like Miles Garrett, Davian Clowney, Denzel Ward have all been dealing with knocks, and there's obviously varying chances that they'll actually uh, play or finish this game. So, look, Cleveland, I think overall... They're obviously been much more better built. They have much more talent when they're fully healthy. But, you know, they're at home. They're in the dog pound. Can they rough and tumble out a really important win to make sure they don't go below 500 um, against the Denver team, who are also dealing with their own issues? Obviously, they, uh, you know, three weeks ago, they were 3-0, and living the high life after beating up the tomato cans of the NFL. And they've spent the last three weeks getting absolutely obliterated by any team that has a modicum 
of goodness to them. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater is supposed to be a safe pair of hands, and yet in the game just gone by, he was absolutely hockeyed off the field and, and coughed up the ball four times. The exact opposite of what you can afford. And as I mentioned, their defense, which is supposed to be kind of the identity of this team, with Vic Fangio kind of being the defensive master mastermind, and with these you know young players that they drafted and, and Von Miller, they're doing very very little right now so look if Cleveland can put together some offense with Case Keenum <laughs> and he's had some you know pretty good cameos in his past life um, for example when he's playing for Minnesota then you know you have to give Cleveland a shot here but basically this is two teams right now who are both really suffering who are both on the precipice of having seasons go fully off the tracks and so I think we're all picking Cleveland because we probably want Cleveland to win and because if they do win and get back they'll probably be actually a good team Whereas Denver, even at their peak, are probably nothing more than a mediocre. So, look, Denver certainly have a chance given where Cleveland are right now. But uh, I think we're all hoping for a, a big win for the Browns in, in, in Cleveland this week. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, next up, Carolina at the Giants. Uh, we come for Carolina across the board. Look, again, CMC was gone because of the IR designation and all that kind of stuff. But Tube is playing okay. As we mentioned, Giants not really looking great the the accuracy issues and the turnover issues seem to be coming back for them there they're injured across the board whereas you know Carolina well not the you know the feistiest showed some fight last week and uh, should be able to take it against this kind of let's be honest quite bottom feedery New York Giants team at the moment next up is my pick of the week Cincinnati at Baltimore uh, me and Sean have gone for Cincinnati Fitz has gone for Baltimore um yeah, I can see. I can see either side in this one. To be honest, uh, I just like Cincy to come in and make a big statement win here. They've been looking very exciting of late. Obviously, look, we talk a lot about Joe Burrow, about you know the wide receivers, about the run game through mixing and that stuff. But it's actually the defense has been doing a huge amount of the work for them. It has been quietly putting together a very good season, pressuring quarterbacks, causing issues. There's a Baltimore team that is can be excellent, but can also mess up quite quickly they can be very streaky and I think in particular they still have the limitations in the passing like even with their performance last week what we saw was a uh, an offense that still had to go entirely through the running game that wasn't getting much through the air and had to rely on its defense a good bit I think the, since you have a good enough offense it might be able to avoid some of that um, but also they have a defense that's good enough to now be able to probably put some pressure on uh, on, 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 on uh, Baltimore and try and force them to have to pass outside the numbers and try and shut down some of the run game because as we mentioned their run game is heavily based on players who were good five years ago at this point because they've gone through so many um, that said as we said they have uh, been they have been six also also Lamar Jackson. Also Lamar <laughs> Jackson. That's true. But sorry, I just meant their 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 designated running uh, running back group. I know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like it is it is a spot where I could one hundred percent see Baltimore doing this. They're at home. This is an individual game. They tend to take those very seriously and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's just it, since he have been exciting from the last couple of weeks that we've been watching them uh, they've been excited to be for a while and I kind of like this as a big statement. Uh, Win. I could definitely see them doing it because, you know, streaky Baltimore due a loss be very, very fitting if they kind of destroyed one of the, the AFC top enders and then kind of lost in division to a foe. It would be great. Yeah, it would be great, but I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I think Baltimore <laughs> have shown that they are capable of winning games in, in any kind of flavor you can think of. Uh, 
close games, blowouts, and all kinds of situations. Since week one, where they lost in overtime, they were like, well, we're never losing again, and they find shit, any kind of crap from the end of their arsehole to get it done. Like, look, I get it. Like, the three running backs they have, and Latavius Murray might actually be out for this, so maybe Tyson Williams be back in, but, like, yeah, they're not great, but, like, the run game is built about Lamar. You have to worry about Lamar, number one, number two, and number three. Um, I think Rashad Bateman is back. He played a bit last week. It'll be interesting to see if he's brought more into the passing game. But look, I think Hollywood Brown and uh, and Mark Andrews have both been stepping up the last few weeks. I think the big, like one of the most big things Frank, for Cincinnati is that their defensive backs can stay healthy. If they have to play more Eli Apple, that's a huge issue. But if Joby Ouzier can get through the entire game, they, that definitely gives them way more of a shot to actually get this, what is would be an upset, let's be honest, uh, done. But yeah, I think Baltimore... They're just one of those teams that I'm not willing to bet against right now. They just seem to win games that they shouldn't win and that they should win. Um, where Cincinnati, like, look, they're, they're a very good team. They're very exciting. Hopefully they can make this a really uh, big challenge against, uh, obviously, a major division role who's kind of owned them for most of their history. Um, but uh, I'm willing to give Baltimore the benefit of the doubt at the moment just because, yeah, they're Baltimore. <laughs> I, just, I just don't trust the Ravens. And if the Bengals can play how they played against the Packers then I, I give them every chance I and also yeah, it is there is a little bit of sentimentality I do want them to win but um, yeah I just don't love this Ravens team even though they're winning games I just don't I just don't see what the big deal is other than that Lamar you know turns up and, and scores for fun when when he has to but uh, I don't think you can rely on that yeah uh, Washington at Green Bay have gone for Green Bay across the board Sean yeah, it, it's, I mean, the Packers have shown us that, you know, they're for real this season. And Aaron Rodgers, if we had any doubt about how committed he is or how into this season he is, I think it was answered pretty comprehensively with his shouting down of the Bears fans. He really wanted that win and it meant a lot to him that, that, that he pulled it off. That he's, he's kind of in dick swinging mode at the moment and someone with that level of talent and dick swinging mode is a dangerous beast. And on the other side, Washington's defense, which was supposed to be its strong suit, has been very poor this season. They're, they've been giving up, I mean, it's something like 30 points a game at this point. They're, they're leaking points. And, I mean, do you trust Taylor Heineke to keep pace with Aaron Rodgers in a shootout? I know I don't, so I think Packers comfortably here. Yeah. Uh, next up, Atlanta at Miami. We've gone for Atlanta across the board, Ronan. Yeah, Atlanta coming off their bye, go against a listless Miami team. I think for Miami, whatever chance they have will come down to if they get some of their players back in the defensive backfield and in the wide receiver core. I don't think the, 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 the outlook is great for that. I think for Atlanta, look, look, they've been a very unusual team this year. Uh, obviously, they, they won in London. Uh, they, they've won a, a couple of games that maybe they, 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 they've been pretty close as well. But yeah, like their offense is centered around Coradel Patterson make of that what you will uh, but if I was an Atlanta fan I would like to see more of Calvin Ridley um, I think that would be the big thing and more of Kyle Pitts uh, as we saw in London and I think Atlanta one of those teams that could have a decent stretch down, like decent form down the stretch but I want to see it against Miami a team who yeah really aren't doing anything right now and uh, major question marks if they could finish as one of the worst teams in the NFL yeah. so I think Atlanta at least because there's some hope there yeah, that was basically pretty much what my what my thoughts were. Uh, Casey at Tennessee. Uh, me and Sean have gone for Tennessee, and Fitz has gone for Kansas City, and this is Sean's pick of the week. Yeah, so so two AFC teams that two seasons have perhaps not gone as well as they would hoped, but are looking in the last few weeks that they're getting back into their groove. The Titans obviously just off a very big win um, against the Bills, and the Chiefs have racked up a couple of wins against mediocre teams. I mean, it's a question, I think, in this game of very good 
offenses against questionable defenses, and it's a question of which offense fires more against the other. I can certainly see the Chiefs getting into their groove and, and doing what we've seen them do last season and score a lot of points. Um, I don't think the Titans' defense has the the, the scheming sophistication that, for example, uh, that we've seen um, f- um, from other teams that have beaten the Chiefs this season to keep pace. But the big problem for me is on the other side of the ball, Kansas City's run defense is historically awful. And I just can't see them stopping uh, Derrick Henry when he's in this kind of form. And I think he could have a, a monster game. Um, and and I mean it probably won't. I mean there are obviously some concerns if Julio Jones will play, but they still have AJ Brown in the passing game as well. If if Henry sets it up enough, that opens up the play action, and the Titans playbook is built all around that when Henry plays well, the entire offense, the, the playbook opens up and they start to play quite well. So for me, I think it could be a, quite a high scoring game as a as a defense has struggled to hold back these offenses, but I just cannot see the Chiefs stopping the Titans at any point. Um, if if the Titans. Um, run through Henry as much as they should in this game. Here's a here's a three step plan for Kansas City to win this game. Uh, don't have the first turnover. Don't have the second turnover. Don't have the third <laughs> turnover. Because if Kansas City could have a turnover free game, I think they would win. I think pretty much every game they've played this year, if they'd had a turnover free game, they would have won that game. But yep. if they they've basically just been shooting themselves in the foot again and again and again. Now, thankfully, it's not Patrick Mahomes' foot because he's actually, despite the turnovers, having one of his most successful um, seasons of his career. And this is Patrick Mahomes we're talking about in terms of success rate, in terms of like uh, yards gained, in terms of what he's doing, in terms of actually carrying this Kansas City team. And look, Tennessee's defense, whoop-de-doo, they, 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 they only held the Buffalo Bills to 31 points. That's still more than 30 points. And they like I don't know, especially with their like you know their rookie cornerback out there, that they have anything to stop Tyreek Hill. If they have anything to stop Travis Kelsey, and if you can get Hill and you can get Kelsey going, then I don't see why Kansas City can't put up an absolute ton of points. Sure, Derrick Henry will probably have like five trillion yards or whatever, and I think he can literally become like the first. Uh, like he, he become like one of two players ever be over a thousand yards if he goes over two hundred yards in this game or two hundred seventeen, um, which could definitely happen. But I, I just want Kansas City to do a clean game, keep it clean, don't throw the ball over uh, to the Tennessee Titans. They don't have that good of defense. They haven't turned the ball very over much, and I think they could easily win this. I think Kansas City they're due a game to show us why they're one of the most feared teams in the AFC. Let's see if they can do it here on the road uh, against the Titans. Yeah, I'd love it if we could. Um, but yeah, I do think it is that just the defense is pretty much designed to give up what this Tennessee team like to do. <laughs> that's that's the problem. You're right, look, if we don't have turnovers and we don't have that problem in pretty much every one of the games, uh, yeah, like, and even on the ones where there were turnovers, we're still in spots where we could have won them anyway. Um, I don't I don't statistically unlikely to have that continue to happen but I also don't know what exactly has changed to stop that apart from hopefully just regression to the mean um, Kansas City's offense looked good in the second half of last week's game their defense looked good in the second half of last week's game but that was against Washington that was not against the Titans who just put it on the Bills and uh, the Bills who absolutely spanked Kansas City two weeks ago so I'd love a win but I just think Tennessee are one of the teams that literally have even if everything fires right the type of offense to take us on pretty well um, that said if we get a score or whatever up we, we tend to play well from ahead and we haven't done that very often this year so maybe that's like you said the change that needs to happen but uh, for now I'll back the Titans to, to, to beat us and put us back under 500 again
Uh, next up, Jets at New England. Sean, we've gone for New England. Yeah, so once again, we're in the situation where the Pats have played well against a good team and lost, and now they have to play a bad team and beat them. The last time this happened, they almost uh, blew, shot themselves in the foot by allowing uh, Houston Texans to beat them through the, the wonderful arm of Davis Mills. Now they face a Jets team that comes back off a bye, has probably been prepping for this game for two weeks, is in a situation where this is a division rival that they're really trying hard, and obviously Salah will probably come up with some plans. Could be quite an interesting defensive battle if we've got Salah on one side of the ball and Belichick on the other doing their defensive magic, but I have to hope that the Pats are, are better than the Jets. They've already beaten them once this season. They're a better team than they were in Week 2. I don't think the Jets have really improved all that fantastically, that one victory against the Titans aside. So I, I think the Pats should have enough here, but really they do need to turn up for these games. They need to get these wins on the board. It isn't enough. Moral victories aren't going to get you to the playoffs, Bill. You have to actually win games um, as well, and hopefully this will be one of them. Fair enough. Next up, Philly at Vegas. We've gone for Vegas across the board. Um, look, they're Sands head coach. There's always a thing that once a coach is fired, you have a one-week bump and then you drop back down. So I'm not sure if I love this pick, but Philly have not looked great this year. If you just watch fantasy football, you'll think they're doing fine. Um, but they're not. They uh, Their quarterback situation is definitely worse than it was the year beforehand. Um, it's not... It's not the big success story that Philly fans would like, and it's there's a reason that you're, you know, selling off older assets. Uh, this is not a team that's currently in ascendancy in my eyes. Not that Vegas necessarily are, but I think they have the talent. Yeah, like I think it, it, the reason we're picking Vegas is because they have something Philly don't that's really important, which is explosive plays. Like we've seen that when they put Derek Carr in the driving seat, that he is able to. Uh, throw the ball deep, get Darren Waller and Henry Ruggs involved and be able to win games, even some that they probably shouldn't have won actually earlier this season. So I think we've seen Vegas be good. Uh, they obviously had a bit of a, a coming back to earth over recent weeks, but they got that win against Denver and they go against the Philly team who just are way, way too inconsistent to ever pick drive to drive or game to game. So I think the Vegas Raiders at home, they'll have a few big plays, put up enough points that Philly who just just aren't able to do that I won't be able to get it done but uh, look like I think Philly if you take them as a totality are a, a very solid team um, they just lack that explosiveness and that uh, and that consistency that you need if you want to win games uh, on a week-to-week basis yeah uh, Houston and Arizona we're going for Arizona across the board look we're not really <laughs> discussing this Houston toilet bowl Arizona super bowl okay uh, if, if they lose this game then all of my Kingsbury hate will be fully, fully vindicated because he had two weeks to prepare for this. Sure, 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 <laughs> sure fits. That's, that's, that's how this works. Chicago, Tampa Bay, going for Tampa Bay across the board. Um, bet on touchdown, Tom? Yeah, it feels like this is a replay of like the, the Philly game where like I'm sure Chicago's defense will kind of be okay and that they will stop Tampa Bay from like getting completely out of control, but... Uh, much like uh, similar to the the Green Bay game for Chicago as well, Tampa Bay will put up too many points for uh, a Chicago offense. It just it lacks any juice right now. Even though they have like a young uh, quarterback who should be able to rush and do some exciting things, maybe it's Nagy, maybe it's the quarterback, whatever. It just doesn't really get you going right now, and Tampa Bay should be able to get this done quite easily. Yeah, hard to imagine that this Bears team has beat the books around this time last year. That 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 all. Well, that this was back before the the books kind of got going. Obviously, they've, they've gone on very divergent paths since then. This was a, the Nick Foles Chicago Bears who managed to beat the books back then. 
Um, yeah, I just, I mean, I just can't see, as Fitz said, I just can't see the Bears scoring enough points. And the Bucks, they might keep it close for fun, but but as Fitz said in the in the review, they just tend to do enough to win games. They're a very lazy team in that sense. They will do just enough to win games, but they will always win the games. And sometimes they get in the mood to score lots of points, but probably not. But yeah, it should be comfortable enough, I, I should think, for the Bucks here. You, you suggested they should play Nick Foles this week, the Bears. They still got him on the road. <laughs> Maybe you know it worked once before. Okay, if the, the books can bring, if the books can, if the books can bring back twenty, <laughs> the books can bring back twenty-two players in the belief that you know should run it again. Then definitely you should run it again. This guy's this guy's Brady kryptonite. Um, why not? John, we've got the soul of Eli Manning. John, the same time we've got the uh, the juggernaut of the Detroit Lions taking on the LA Rams. We've gone for the Rams across the board. Yeah, it's a Matthew Stafford revenge game and a Jared Goff revenge game all rolled into one. Uh, it's going to be fun. I think there's going to be a lot of energy and perhaps some hatred and anger. I think Goff will probably play his angriest game you've ever seen him. Um, it could be interesting to see how the crowd reacts to him playing. Um, could be interesting to see if Stafford under the lights against his old team. Maybe he gets a little bit of a rabbit in the headlights look about him but but i think the rams have proven that they as they proved last week they're really good at beating up bad teams they might struggle at the top end um of, of the nfc and the nfl in general but when it comes to bad teams they will just score lots of points the detroit lions have a terrible defense the rams have a very good offense for beating terrible defenses um and the, the lions will just make a lot of mistakes on the side of the ball and just won't get anywhere close so it should be a blowout um, it might be nice to see Goff have a good game to kind of show the Rams that he's that he was um, worth something, but I can see him at the same time having one of his nervous four interception kind of games. He, he was um, worth something. Day. He was worth Matt Stafford. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, four, and whatever, how many draft picks, yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, Indianapolis at San Francisco on Sunday Night Football. We've gone for San Francisco across the board. Um yeah, look, yeah. Indy did an okay job last week, and Taylor is looking good, but oh, I don't know. Sam Fran off a bye, i got to imagine. I don't think, to be honest, they both kind of feel a little bit like also runs for me at this point. Yeah, but I think that that's why this is an important game. These are obviously two teams that were somewhat rated coming into the season, maybe dark horses within their respective uh, divisions or kind of being wildcard hunted. Certainly. I think I had Indianapolis at four wins preseason. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> certain people, but like... Look, like Indianapolis, like obviously they had a terrible start to the season, but they did get a, they've got a couple of wins under their belt now. San Francisco, there are two wins as well. So yeah, I think you know it's really about who, which one of these teams is genuinely gonna like build on this and actually do something for the rest of the season. Maybe neither do, but I think I would be surprised if neither of these teams do nothing. So look for Indianapolis. I think Carson Wentz, he's he's getting over the ankle injuries that he had a few weeks ago. He certainly seems to be getting back to full health again in that Texans game and I think as you mentioned Jonathan Taylor they're making him the center point of that offense they, they seem to go away from him randomly for games for, for no good reason uh, Frank Reich don't, don't do that just just use him like you have Tennessee in the same division they don't go away from Derrick Henry do they just just do that 
Just just do that. And he's very effective in the pass game as well. So you don't even need Naheem Hines for that. Like, trust me, it's, it's fine. And look, they have Ty Ty T.Y. Hilton back, so there's a little bit of juice there, I suppose. Uh, and Pittman's all right. So, like, look, uh, no one's going to mistake the Indianapolis Colts for, like, the, you know, the, the Buffalo Bills or whatever like that. But it's definitely a situation where I think they, they we thought they'd be a solid team going into the season. And I think they're turning more into that solid team that we expected than the kind of dumpster fire they were for the first month of the season. Um, on the other hand, San Francisco, like, look, yeah, they're coming off the bye. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they're kind of doing. Like, Brandon Ayuk hasn't been a factor for this week a year so far. It's kind of been unusual. Let's see if they get him more involved. Obviously, Debo Samuel has been kind of compensating for that. But, you know, they, they you know, with Jimmy Garoppolo probably starting this game, basically, we know it'll be interesting to see if he can actually, you know, have a good game for an entire game because he's just been very inconsistent there. Um, but I think that gives them at least an effective, like a pass game, which then can be complemented by the what's usually a very effective run game with Eli Mitchell probably being the lead back here. I think the big thing for San Francisco is that they've been dealing with a few injuries in the defensive uh, side. They obviously are coming off a bye, so maybe some of those guys have had a week to get healthy, get back up the form, and see if they can put up a good defensive uh, performance. Because I think for both these teams, it's the defense that's really been the difference in why they're kind of in the, the relative... Uh, bottom drawer of their respective divisions I think both of them could really do with their defenses finally doing something against a somewhat worthy opponent and for me that'll probably be the difference if some of these defenses can do something but uh, yeah I think both these teams are working in like at least a little eye on for the rest of the season but uh, if they lose here obviously a bigger hole for both of them to grasp their way out of yeah, these are kind of two well-matched teams to me in, in terms of their overall quality. And I think that the difference in that situation comes down to coaching. And, and for me, the, the Niners coaching Shanahan and his crew are just much better. And they'll find a way to win this game because this, these are the kind of games that the 49ers tend to win. They tend to be able to, to beat teams up to a certain level this season and then fall against the very um, best. Um, so I, I, th- I think there's, a no- there's enough in that coaching to, to get them over the line. Yeah, and finally... Monday Night Football, oh, to think that this would have once been such a matchup. New Orleans at Seattle. Ronan, we've got for New Orleans across the board. Yeah, Jameis Winston versus Geno Smith. Are you excited for no. Monday Night Football? No. Uh, yeah, look, <laughs> I think we're picking New Orleans because Seattle's defense is an absolute trash fire. Jamal Adams had the ball literally thrown at him and couldn't pick it off. Um, they have sparks of sometimes being good in the, like, the defensive rush, at least it's something, and like I, I think the Seattle defense can perhaps get to average, uh, but New Orleans have a okay defense. Uh, but like to be fair, New Orleans are like the least predictable team week to week. Uh, they're they're literally impossible to predict. Jameis Winston is literally impossible to know if he's like the worst quarterback in the league or like the middlest quarterback in the league. Um, he did at least unleash the deep ball before the bye a bit, so we'll see if they bring that in. But look, they're going to have a lot of Alcamara. They're going to rush him a lot. See if they can win the game. And Seattle, which you know Smith uh, haven't really been able to get over the hump, but. Uh, yeah, it could be a pretty grim game overall, to be honest, on Monday night. Yeah, and that wraps up for the week. So, lads, any crack for the weekend? Uh, not much rec- recovering still, I think, <laughs> taking it easy, getting my energy back. I Yeah, I'm one of those people now that needs a week to recover from a weekend or or however. Yeah, i got got to ration uh, uh, my, my energy for the foreseeable future, I think. Mm. Fun time. Sorry, yourself, it's... Yeah, probably not doing much, but uh, yeah, keep it keep it quiet and yeah, maybe see something. You have to sit down somewhere at the jazz again. Just enjoy oh it. yeah, yeah. Jazzy. 
jazz. But probably none of the big things there because of... the jazz has lost its soul, man. The jazz has sold out years ago. I, I'm over the jazz as, as a thing. The Guinness Cork Jazz Festival sold its soul. Jazzy Jeff was playing this year. Yeah. So, so Sean, are you doing the traditional jazz weekend that everyone used to do, which was they wouldn't pay for a ticket for anything, they'd eventually wander into a bar that has a blues band on for free, drink a pint, so they've really forgotten what this jazz is all about and then complain about it. Yeah, no, I think that sounds great. I mean, if I stay away from it, there's that big hotel whose name escapes me now that runs basically a nightclub for the entire weekend, which is just, I've done it once or twice. Not just a jazz nightclub. Well, it's yeah. yeah. To a certain time, and the and bands it's... that have been brought in—it's—it's it's very much just becoming the Galway races, but in Cork on in October kind of thing. So uh, yeah, maybe if you find some obscure like uh, Southern Tennessee, you know, bluegrass band playing in the back of um, some old man pub, that'd be pretty great. But otherwise, I'd probably give it a miss. Yeah, just don't stand up or dance until designated time. <laughs> uh, when is the designated time? No one's sure. But we'll we'll get clarification. Half twelve ish, I think. Something like Hopefully that. by the weekend. Well, I've got the uh, I got the joy of I'm hiring a uh, a, a proper sized uh, sander and edger machine. I'm gonna try and uh, sand the floorboards and get the get the whole upstairs of the house finished off. Or well, sands the bathroom, which uh, I think we're rapidly realizing will be too expensive to do everything all at once. So maybe the bathroom will stay for six months. Who knows. Uh, we'll work that out as we go but yeah get a, get a play with a large scale sander it's fun because I had a lot of fun with the small one the last few days doing work in the house and I've given myself the black lung through a combination of paint mould and uh, stone dust that I've managed to whip up from that so that's uh, that'll be my fun continuing on and uh, basically making sure that I die of something that coal miners kind of thought they'd eradicated <laughs> 45 years ago but um, yeah should be fun <laughs> Like like the jazz, I will improvise. Ah, very good. <laughs> and obviously we'll watch the football and we'll be 100% correct about all our picks. Particularly the ones that we yeah. disagreed on. Those will be ties. Yes, ties all round. Um, no, that's great. So I suppose uh, for now, it's bye from myself, bye from Sean. Bye. Bye from Ron. Bye. This is all for recording. Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you next week. <laughs>